Shifting Consciously, a podcast created to help us remember who we are, divine beings of love and light, having a human experience, a platform for individuals interested in exploring the possibilities of living a life in alignment with what is highest and best in their own lives, and by doing so, making a difference in the world. Hello, I'm Karen Bowen. Welcome to the fourth episode of Shifting Consciously a podcast dedicated to honest, responsible, and present dialogue where issues of the mind and heart are discussed in a way to help one another consciously co-create. We will be looking at our beliefs, habits, and strategies and explore which serve us and which need to be discarded. And of course, we will be examining alternatives to our current ways so we can live happier lives on a healthier planet where we remind each other of the choices present in our lives and how to make them conscious choices. Today we are beginning our discussion of perceptions and how they impact our lives. We're going to be discussing changing reactions, dealing with emotions, taking personal responsibility for having true communication, and changing education. Hello, this is Kate. I'm Erica. I'm Dave. And I'm Karen. Okay, guys, today I have a question to start And then we'll go into whatever we're going to talk about today, since we don't know. How are these conversations helping you? What are they doing for you in your life? I'm ready. Okay. This is so cool. Kate. Yeah. When you shared the story about family discord... And my question was, how do you return to love? It was not something that made sense to me. I've had a block there. My program my whole life has been, when you're at odds, put your wall back up because you can't trust a darn thing or a darn person. And I don't want to be in that pattern anymore, but I need examples. And you offered me that example. So last week at some point, there was some helter-skelter and everybody was running around too quickly, doing too much. And Jeremy and I started to feel that tension that we're used to feeling. And we went back into that place of like, we were going to point fingers and we were going to create chaos. And I just stopped and I said, do you want to be in an argument right now? Because I really don't want to. So could we just agree that we're under a little bit of stress right now? We're under a little bit of pressure, but let's not add fuel to the fire. Let's just say, let's step back, take a deep breath. You go do this that you need to do. We're going to be fine. And I'm going to be fine too. I might not see that right now, but I'm going to take a deep breath and we're going to get through this. And so I thank you because I would not have been able to do that and say, I love you. I love us so much. Let's not go there. But I heard your example and it gave me inspiration so that I could go, I can say something like this too, because what do I want to create? So thank you. That is my very... Beautiful, like, obvious example in my life. And funny you say that. Mine is exactly the, exactly the same because I was listening to our uh, second podcast yesterday just to listen back. And you were talking about, I think it was an example where you were, you and your husband were getting into it or something or it was about triggers, right? And I listened to that yesterday. I thought, I, I know we were all sitting here. We listened to what each other is saying when we're recording this, but, you know, I'm, I'm concentrating on... A lot of things. So listening to the playback, just second time, let me hear different things. So this morning, I made the mistake of of watching some news, which I try not to do because it sucks me into drama. And I was un, unaware that I was getting annoyed. 
And just in general, I was getting frustrated. I was trying to get ready for this. I was late, trying to get Emma ready. And and I, I got a little short with Emma because she wasn't helping and she wasn't going fast enough. And I wasn't able in the moment to stop the trigger like you were suggesting. But on the way here, I still felt, I felt guilty. I was going into the drama triangle. I'm really guilty I did that to Emma and I felt bad. And I, I, I got this little hit, you know, just put a song. So I, I picked a song. I picked, for some reason, I picked the song, Oh Holy Night, which is one of my favorite songs. It always gets me. But I played it on the way here. And then I started getting just a, a thought that you don't need to feel guilty. You know, feel grateful that Emma was there to help play the role for you to learn a lesson that you don't need to go in. You know, maybe maybe you were you know, frustrated and didn't know it. You don't need to go into the anger. And then I thought, and the thoughts kept coming, Emma's such a gentle soul. And, and so the feedback is instant. If I get frustrated, she, she will play that back. She'll get sad right away. And so that helps me. I got to remember not to go into drama. I got to remember not to go into guilt. But then I thought, but why is, why is that unique to Emma, right? Every soul I encounter is a gentle soul. Just because other people like me or other people I might view as a, a, a difficult person to deal with, they're just as gentle of a soul as Emma. Maybe they offer more resistance than Emma does. And so it's harder for me to see that or acknowledge it, but there's no difference. So that helped me thought, think, you know, remember, I, I practice treating everybody that way. So, so I'll start with listening to what you said. And yesterday. that's amazing because when you're talking about, all three of you are talking about getting awake, right? Becoming present, becoming conscious, becoming aware. You have feedback from Emma, and you're absolutely right, David. Everybody on the planet has this very tender, gentle soul. It's covered up by a lot of other stuff based on what they're going through in their lives. And Emma is able to give you the feedback of sadness because that's really what she feels. But I guarantee you, everybody on the planet feels sadness when they're attacked or when they're treated. But they don't all react that way because they've been trained to either come back with an attack or an avoidance. Okay, but Emma's giving you the pure feedback. She's saying, you hurt me. Mm -hmm. You hurt me. And if we could only be conscious enough to say that in our relationships, stop, and maybe not you hurt me, but that comment hurt, mm -hmm. or what you ignored about hurt, then we're really being in the authentic triangle. We're not blaming anybody. We're simply stating a fact. Wow. And Kate, it was all because you shared your experience with Adam and how wonderful. Now think about the ripple effect. Mm -hmm. If you're impacted by this, we're really hoping the, hoping the people are listening are impacted by these conversations. Well, um, I'm so appreciative that it, that it was of benefit. And I, I want, I want you to know that Adam and I listened to it yesterday and Adam got I said, I want you to hear, actually, I asked him, I asked, would you like to hear, because that was one thing in our second episode, you know, you need to ask, would you like to hear what's happening in our, in our conscious conversations? Our, you know, our podcast is getting published. Would you like to hear it? And he said, yes. 
So that was the first thing. Oh, but thing. you didn't warn him it was going to be about him. <clears throat> I did not warn him. <laughs> I, I said, I said I'm ta- I talk about family. I did say I talk about family. Okay. I, but I really didn't even think about, okay, how this, how this could... You, you know, I, I, yeah, I should have probably said something about it. You know, I specifically bring up my parents. I bring up you. But anyway, he said yes. So we sat down and, and of course, I launch right in at the beginning of that episode. And um, and he gets red in the face and he goes, he puts his hand to his head and he's like, seriously? And, <laughs> and this is being he's published? Like, he's like, what? And then, but, but he heard it. And then as he heard me going through it and taking responsibility for um, what I was creating, he was like, wow, this is really powerful. And then we got to have a conversation about it that was a true conversation. And I can't think of a time, you know, typically when we converse about something, it's from, like, it is born of the seed of anger. Like, you know, it's not like we sit down and have a conversation about, you know, a conscious conversation. We just, something will come up and then we'll go, oh, we need to deal with this. But this time it was objective. It was... Uh, we could look at it as people, as like flies on the wall or something, looking down at an idea and talking about an idea. And that is something that I love to do. And, um, you know, typically, be, I think because of how it usually comes up, Adam hates it. He hates talking about ideas. And we had a really great conversation about how we can process things and how we can ask one another, as you suggested, Karen, He this really resonated with him when you said, okay, what Richard and I do is we ask each other. And he looked at me and he said, Kate, that's brilliant. Let's do that. Let's ask each other. And I said, awesome. And here's the thing, you guys. We, I, had, I had said that to him when I got home from, the, from recording the last podcast. And he said, yes, but now he heard it. Now he heard it. And he made the choice to listen to it. And now he heard it. And so I'm seeing before me, this personal responsibility play out where I need to allow, oh, shocking, I need to allow other um, beings the opportunity to choose their, their path with this and not have it be, I think this is great. I think you should listen to this and you should do this. And it's going to be good for you is, is just about control. And it's, it has nothing to do with them. Of course he didn't hear it. It wasn't his choice. It wasn't what he, it wasn't what he was, um, wasn't his goal. So, Anyway, I uh, I just think the whole process of this has been very, very healing. And the last time, to shift a little bit, the last time uh, when I listened to it uh, in, in its entirety, the thing that really resonated with me was the uh, politics in relation, in relationship to education and child raising. So I don't know if you guys want to talk about that, but... Well, um, first I want to congratulate all of you <laughs> before we launch yeah. into this. But also, I want to say, you know, one of the things that I have found helpful, and I can't use it all the time, but when somebody comes at me in an attack mode, if I can stay present and awake, it's often better for me to just look them in the eye and say to them, I never gave you permission to talk to me that way. Or, who gave you permission to talk to me that way? Because... When we recognize our own sovereignty, then it's easier for us to recognize another sovereignty. And of course, why wouldn't we ask if you'd like to hear this story <laughs> or, you know, if you want me. Because the other thing that I want to mention just before we go into Kate's idea, 
We don't do that on Facebook. People blast each other on Facebook without asking permission. And I think that that's something that I'm noticing mm-hmm. in our culture because of all the digital. You know, people don't ask you. They're on the phone. They're standing right next to you. They don't ask, well, do you mind if I have this conversation? When I get in the car with Rich, and I, you know, I don't have a smartphone. You all know that. But I have a flip top. I am in that age. <laughs> I do have a flip top. And if I have to make some important calls, and he's driving, I don't do it when I'm driving, I'll say, do you mind if I make a call? I wouldn't ever think of just opening the phone and making a phone call. He's with me. It's his territory too. And yet, everywhere I go, people just are on their phone, and they're saying things that I really don't want to hear. It's none of my business. And I would like to be able to say to someone, and I have, I was at the museum a couple years ago, and I was sitting down looking at this beautiful piece of Japanese art. And this woman sat next to me on, you know, they have those long benches. And she got on the phone. And I didn't know what to say. And so I simply put my hand on her shoulder and pushed her off the bench gently, gently, gently. And I said, no. I just said, no, as I gently pushed her off. I mean... It didn't make any sense to me. She wasn't even considering the fact that that there was another human being in her sphere and maybe I had a right to decide whether or not I wanted to hear that. So there's lots of stuff that we're talking about that just goes along with our own personal experience. But then also, what do we do out in the world? You know, how do we act in the world? So Kate, tell us about your idea. So one of the things that really bugs me it triggers me. Oh, we're doing triggers again. Okay, well, I, we'll have a third episode. I'm sorry. I, this just like triggers that, like Dave was saying, when you're when you listen to it again, you hear something different. And uh, when I got to listen this time, I was just really reminded of this place in my heart where where I am, I'm hurt by the way that we um, operate in education and in parenting with this. There's this notion that you have to um, allow kids to be like, like I guess people would say it in the nicest way possible, like wildflowers, like no floor, no um, no boundaries, no boundaries, no consequences. You know, you know when things when things don't when kids don't meet an expectation, it's move the expectation, not not hold it, not. You know, so you're constantly shifting their world instead of helping them to shift. And so, or allowing them to to make the shift. Anyway, and it's seen as, it truly is seen as old world and evil to believe in a child and to to say, did you make that choice? I do this with my own son. He's three and a half. You know, I do this, I did this with my own son this morning, you know. He had a choice at the playground and he made a bad choice. So we left and he was crying and he was very, very upset. And, I'm, and I said, what, what happened? And he said, I threw the wood chips. And I said, is that, is that right or wrong? He said, that was a bad choice. John made a bad choice. And I said, what, what happens with bad choices? He said, consequences. And I said, okay, let's go home. And he didn't cry anymore. I mean, it's, it's I'm sure he's still upset. You know, and, and, I mean, we all are upset when we lose things, but... That is seen. I am. T- I mean, there are people out there who the it is actively sold that kids can't self-regulate. 
And uh, it was very powerful for me, Erica. You said this in a group once. You said, someone said something like this. And you said, you said, you know what? You, you affirmed them. You said, I understand where you're coming from. And isn't it our right and our, and our, our birthright as parents or whatever, our, our purpose on this earth as parents is to help them to, we co-regulate until they can self-regulate. And we step in and we guide them to self-regulation, which is basically <laughs> the, the in fancy, you know, fancy, like the appropriate language of the day saying, yes, absolutely, we hold the expectations, so but. It's boundaries and keep them. <laughs> yes, right, right. It's like, and, but no, people can't hear that. And so it's brilliant to hear a master like you, Erica, say that, in a way, I, I remember hearing that and going, oh, that's how we speak to them. That's how we speak to people. We can we can meet them where they are and then also, you know, hold what we know to be true. And I just, because I, it's just about assumptions too. I have a, you know, I'm like assuming people think I'm a villain for for holding expectations, you know. And instead of that, if you come at it with, they're trying the best they can, I'm trying the best I can. And I know what I know, and uh, I believe in I believe in all people. Then I'm going to find the right words to to meet that mother or that parent where they are, or that teacher, that colleague, or that principal. And if if they're ready to hear me, you know they'll be ready to hear me. Or so, you leave, K-12. or I leave K twelve because K twelve may not be ready for you. Right. Well, and I wanted to kind of if I can talk about that too. So. Here's the other thing. And so that's why politics is always such a sham. I just want to say that. I just want to say that it's such a sham because left, right, there's, there's an, um, it really is a role, right, in the triangle. At some, at some point they're, they're just circling around, right? And, um, for example, back in the 1920s, John Dewey, a great education philosopher, came up with these schools in New York and he, he built them I and mean, he got, he got funding to build these schools and these schools got put up where kids were learning. They're learning all the subjects, every subject. So, you know, everyone learned art, everyone learned math, everyone learned, had, had physical education, but also now, so, so not only were all of the intelligences being um, provided for everyone because it can be assumed that everyone has them, <laughs> but also kids were cleaning everything. They all rotated. They all cooked everything. They all had to be in charge of throwing the trash out. They all had, they, they planted gardens in the back. They all did the woodworking. They all did autos. And so there were, there was no discipline essentially, because if you have to pick up the trash that you throw, why would you ever throw trash in the lunchroom? And if you have to make the food, why would you ever throw food? Anyway, liberals took it down. They took it down because they said, you are not setting kids up for a college experience. There's too much hands-on. You're, you're saying they're not headed for a four-year college uh, level institution. And so liberals at the state and the national level put the kibosh on John Dewey's schools. And, and so what I'm saying is education hasn't been ready and still isn't ready for a long because that idea was out there. It was out there. It was available. And and with this mindset that we know what's better for each person, we know it can be so dangerous on any side of any baseball field. You know, whether you're, you're 
your wherever you are. So I just um, it's something you're right, Karen. It just I when I speak in education, people hear me as insane. <laughs> okay, but now think about Maria Mon- Montessori. Mm-hmm. She brought that whole idea back, and now the liberals are supporting Maria Montessori. <laughs> so you see, what happens is we shift consciousness based on where we are at the time. Okay, at the time, back when that was happening with Dewey, people really wanted this big education. They didn't. They didn't want their kids to be just tradesmen and stuff like that. So they were always aspiring. So they weren't forward thinking. But now it's come around, and, and I have a very dear friend that was a Montessori teacher forever, and I have a very dear friend client who's a Waldorf teacher. And I mean, this is an expansive way of training children, okay? And not always supported by both political parties. But you're right. We need to just do what's highest and best instead of getting into politics and stuff like that. But that's what happens. And I think... Dad, what you were talking about, I, I'm not in education, so I'm not going to speak from your angle, but I see a lot of, it's it's almost like a struggle between the masculine and the feminine. It's 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 a pendulum swing of, it's all about feeling, how I feel. This feels good, this feels not good. And I, and I, and I, if I'll use Emma again, <laughs> to as example, by setting boundaries, right? I've had people look at me when I set a boundary for Emma and hold it consistently. I've had people look at me and going, well, you're being, you're being too hard as a parent, right? That's, that's not okay because it's all the feeling side, right? It's all, it doesn't, it, but there has to be a masculine side to it. You have to have both they have to be balanced, right? So the more I hold Emma and Laura hold Emma accountable and consistent and hold that floor, the more she thrives. I've had her, I've had her, walk up to me before after I say, you know, can't do that. Here's the right way. You know, you, you don't get to make phone calls unless you put your milk away. And if you do that every single time, I've had her come up afterwards and just, she'll give me a hug. She'll look at you and test and test to see if I'll cave and see if I'll give. But if I don't ever give, she walks up and says, you know, I love you or I give you a hug. Because she craves that structure. And she craves, craves approval the- and she wants to succeed. That's what people are missing. Their children actually want to succeed. They don't want everything given to them because if everything's given to them, what are they going to do with that? Well, their and lives? plus, she doesn't know, right? She doesn't know necessarily the right thing to do in a situation. Not until you tell her, right? So we're, you know, to hold somebody accountable to their actions is incredibly important. So I'm sorry, I think I got off track. But going okay. back to what you're saying is, I, I, I just see whether it's politics, education. It seems to be either one, everybody pushes for the masculine or the feminine. Why not combine both? You have to. You have to have the male and the female. Can I share something? I'm sitting back reflecting on all of this and the work that I do with kids. And, you know, I think that we have a basic human desire to feel understood. And Karen, when you say that the the deepest emotion is sadness, right? Why do people feel sadness? And there's some incongruence with someone's belief system in my own or what someone is saying and how I can relate to it. And so often in my work, we run into this trap where people have the false assumption that we all need to agree for everything to be okay. That's not true. 
In parenting and in discipline, we don't need to agree for it to be okay. In discussion, we don't need to agree for it to be okay. But acknowledgement of somebody's perspective and space for everybody to feel and think as they are is a different ballgame. And then when it comes to parenting or child rearing or having a conversation with, with an equal, right, with a peer and saying, who gave you permission? The goal and the task ahead is to not take it personally when someone else is crossing our boundary and our line, but to say, I value myself enough, I value you enough, and um, I'm going to be confident in who I am to be able to stand my ground and not entangle with you in your emotional unraveling. I allow you your authentic experience, have a hard time, but I don't need to jump ship with you. I've got this. I can handle it. I know myself. I know my limits. And I will guide you as you find your own limits as well when you don't have them. I think that's really Uh, fascinating because one of the things that I had to learn very early in my relationship with Richard is that he didn't like to argue. Of course, unless it was his argument, but he didn't like me arguing. And what he would what he would do is he'd put his hands up and he'd say, it looks like you want to argue with somebody. It's not me. And he'd turn around and walk away. That's why we came up with the, do you want to hear this? Okay, because that could go on forever. Nobody's ever talking. But you're right. Everybody has a different way. And it's all right because it's coming from our perspective. And honoring it, the only thing is we got to go back to, do I want to play with you? Because if somebody wants to constantly berate me, in fact, this just happened on Facebook. I put that post up that was a friend of mine posted that said, you know, I'm not going to be chipped and vaccinated and I'm not going to be all these things. And, and I thought, cool, because I feel that way. I don't want some government telling me what they're going to do to my body, you know. And so I put it out there, thanking the woman that, posted it. And this guy that I don't know, but lo- but belongs to a group that I belong to, writes back and he's and he goes on to say who he is. And he's this, some kind of special neurophysicist doctor. And he says, and you are irresponsible and dangerous. And when I heard that, I, I actually gulped. And I thought, I've been called a lot of things, but irresponsible and dangerous. Well, when I read that irresponsible and dangerous, What struck me is this man is part of the ranch. Mm. So he's a yogi. And maybe the assumption that I made is that he's a yogi and that he knows what yogis know. Okay. And that maybe I'm assuming that he was trained by Yogacharya. And so I wrote back to him and I said, I don't understand. If I'm following my intuition and I'm doing what's highest and best according to my God self, Why would I want to ignore that and follow some government, some doctor, some authority? And then he came back again and said, you are irresponsible and dangerous. So the point that I'm making here is sometimes we have differences that other people find extreme. Okay, I don't find their approach extreme. If they want to do what they want to do, that's fine but they find my approach extreme. And I think it's about fear. Mm -hmm. 
Well, and I think that's control. It's happening right now mm-hmm. with the COVID thing. This is fear. I, I I don't know if you saw my post yesterday, but I looked at Sweden. And, you know, I put down the the statistics for Sweden because Sweden never had a lockdown. Okay, Sweden, you know, just self regulate and everything, and they have about the same numbers as Wisconsin, even though they have fifty uh, percent more population, but their percentages are about the same. But you look up Sweden, and they're living their lives. They're you know respectful peaceful, calm. You look at Wisconsin, I mean, people are angry, bashing each other, name calling, finger pointing. I I see things on Facebook and I have to delete them because I can't believe my friends are saying these horrific things to other people. And so sometimes when we have these differences and you're talking about parents looking at you like you're crazy because you set boundaries, we have to honor ourselves and go, okay, wait a minute. You know, do I need to be part of this group or do I need to, ex, you know, exit? Because the other thing is, you don't want to go to where they're at. The other thing I want to say that's kind of a continuation of this, Richard was talking to a, a man who has a business. And the man said, you know, he says, I'm really having a hard time with my employees. And Richard said, what's wrong? And he said, well, they're all young. They come in and they start using their phone and they do nothing. And he said, and I can't get them off their phones. And I said, well, that's real simple. I can understand why they would do that. They never had to do anything at home. Their parents gave them everything. They never had to work one day in their lives. They never had boundaries. All they had to do was play video games and be on phone. And now they think they're going to go to a job and they're going to hand them a check because they were there for their phone. Now think about that. But think about that. Who created that scenario? The people that you're talking about, the parents that think you're crazy because you set a boundary. So may I just yes. <laughs> conclude here with that? With this is and this is the this is the missing link that I don't know if our listeners know, and I don't. I think everyone I tell this to who's outside of education is somewhat astounded because I think here's what I, in, I say this about music education. Like if you and quick digression to explain my point. So if you walk down the street and you, well, of course, BC, okay, before Corona, but you walk down the street and you see someone and you, you were sort of ask them, hey, would you support music education? They'd be like, yes, oh, yes, 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 yes. And then you said to them, okay, well, would you give a dollar a year to support education in your school? So would be like, well, wait a sec, whoa, slow down, okay? I'm not talking about a dollar with you. So I think it's about taking responsibility, right? So if you, if Karen, if you said that, if you said, you know, to people, would you take responsibility? Are you going to prepare your child? Are you going to prepare the path? I do, I do believe that most people would say, well, of course, of course, I want to prepare my child for the future. But if you said, okay, well, are you willing to hold them to this expectation, this one new expectation a day, you know, get, you know, get your homework done or whatever, whatever it is. Well, wait, I, we got to see how they're doing. I got to see what's, so, so what I'm telling you is happening in schools right now. And I'm glad to hear Montessori is, is doing well, but it's outside the system and uh, Waldorf is outside the system. These, these ideas are not, have not been mainstreamed and what is mainstreamed right now, at least in the state of Wisconsin is this, as a teacher, you sit there and you hold mm, 80% of your kids to an expectation uh, on a good in a good in a great community okay in a great community you're allowed to do that and with the rest when they fail a test when they need extra help when there's some something not met 
when they've they've been horrible in a class, they've done something horrible to another student, you know, whatever that is, the 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 line's been crossed, and there should be a nat- natural consequence. I am telling you, unless you have the support of the parents, the administration will not support a consequence, a natural consequence, or some th- some kind of like, well, you got to redo it, or you have to, this has to happen, or this has to happen. No, 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 you just change the grade. You just, you just make it right. You, I mean, I'm telling you, I can't tell you how many times I have been told, Kate, you make it right. Me? Me, I have to make it right? <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, it, it is, teachers are a tool for, for holding that, that what you're talking about with going to a, going to a job, having your phone out and doing nothing. They are a tool in the system that is, I mean, you're powerless. I mean, what are you going to say to your principal, right? What are you going to say? Um, they're they're powerful. They're vocal. These parents are powerful, vocal, and they're they don't know what they don't know. They don't know that they they think it comes from a good place. They think they're you know creating. They think they're doing the right thing, but they're totally preparing the path and not preparing the child. And I am telling you that in education right now. Teachers are an instrument of this. Well, and I've got to tell you something that I had an experience because it just fortifies what you said. One of my clients, who was a teacher at Nathan Hill, asked me to come and do a dousing rod experiment with her senior class. And I thought, well, this is great because they're at the age where they could really understand this, you know, and I was really excited. And so I go to Nathan Hill, you know where that is, West Dallas. And first of all, I'm kind of surprised because... All the kids are in the hallway, you know, before classes, and they're doing kind of weird things like making out, you know, in the hallway. And I'm not used to this in the hallway of a high school. But anyway, so I go into the class and I meet the teacher because this is a teacher, a friend of my client. I meet the teacher. She's a very sweet teacher. And her class comes in and they're all on their phones or their iPads. And yes, and I, I, you look at me like that and I'm, to, I'm totally blown away. And I said, okay, I don't understand this. And then they sit down and she says, please put your digital screens away. They don't all agree. They don't all follow her instructions, okay? So some are still, no, I'm too busy. I'm not done yet. And I'm thinking, okay, wait, 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 wait. I can't even imagine talking back to a teacher. I can't even imagine being rude to a teacher. I can't. In my, my sphere of world, my understanding of learning was you behave, you're respectful, you listen, you get the lessons, and if you don't get the lessons, it's not the teacher's fault. Well, anyway, we went through this experiment, and you know I gave him a brief because this is, I know, 12, 12 graders, so I don't make it long. I give him a brief description of what we're going to do and why we're going to do it and everything, and and about, I'd say about half of the class are engaged and the rest are on their phones or iPads or whatever. And so I said, those of you who are interested in doing this, please stand up and, you know. And so I did. And, and about half the room stood up and I gave them all dousing rods. And, and so we did dousing rod experiment first. And then I talked about Psyche and how we could change subconscious beliefs. And how many of you are interested in that? And the same group stood up. And so I went down one with each, you know, with each other, showing them a strong and a weak response. And after I was done, three boys started to laugh 
not the little Twitters, laugh out loud. And I said, what's so funny? And they said, well, we lied about our, our names. I said, do you think that's funny? I'm running an experiment. You think you're proving that I'm an idiot when you change your name? Well, it was strong. And I said, okay, great. But I was, I was in total shock. If I were that teacher, I would have kicked most of those kids out of class. But then after class, I asked her, I said, why didn't you remove the phones? I can't. I said, why don't you take them out of the class? I can't. She said, it's my responsibility. No matter what they do, I am held accountable. I said, you're, you're not joking. She said, I'm not joking. She said, this is school now. Having accountability without authority is a tough position to be in. And Absolutely. A lot, of, and a lot of people are in that position in life today. Especially in the schools. Mm -hmm. So what happened? That's my question. What happened? Because if I were a school administrator or if I was a teacher, I would have, especially since what I saw happen, I would have a whole bunch of rules. I'd say, okay, before your kid enters my classroom, they have to be respectful to me and others. They have to be able to sit down and be quiet. They have to be able to follow rules and understanding, you know. But, I mean, these are 12th graders who could care less. I mean, it's just a total, it was yeah. total. Well, go ahead. Really quick. Can I, so, I mean, and, and I maybe Kate, I'll ask this of you because you're in education and have been, right? Were. Were, yeah. I, when, I, when I was a teenager, it would have been in the, in the early 80s. I, I mean, sure, kids misbehaved. You had, you know, you had the same. The kids are kids, right? But I don't remember this type. The conversation we're having today, I don't remember that then. Now, granted, I had, I had, and have great parents. I, I was held accountable if I acted up in class. I'd, I'd be held accountable at home, right? Right. Now, that's not always the case for everybody. But we're talking about evolving. We're talking about walking the path. Individually and society, we're talking about the drama triangle. At what point, I'm just curious, what point have you seen, where, where did that shift occur? And I wonder why, from an evolution standpoint. Well, I'd just like to say it's, uh, it's. Uh, I think it's, unfortunately, it's very much in the drama triangle. It's very much political. And I think that it's, uh, like Karen was saying, things move in this circular fashion. And so, so like... Right now, to me, there is this, and it's, this is going to sound twisted, but it is. So there you go. There's this idea that self-empowerment, and it's, it's crazy, but self-empowerment and student rights are about no, no responsibility, no expectation. So it is one and the same. So that voice has been totally blurred. Reality is completely confused because they are not the same. And, and when you say, when you have a kid take responsibility, you are, you are giving them back their self-empowerment. But for some reason, it has flipped. The pancake is on the other side. And so just, so just as an example, you guys, I, being a music educator, I think I get the best I ha have in my, in my history gotten the kids who come from families who are the most supportive. And so, so just so you know, my experiences are better than the average educator. I think, you know, Nathan Hale teaching math or whatever, wherever you're doing, music kids, that's just, I mean, there's lots of research and, and stuff about how music kids, you know, they're just, 
activating more of their brain. There's just a lot of stuff happening that's really positive. Um, so I was able to, like at the beginning of every, and I, I everything fell on me too, but I knowing what I know about how I'm not backed up, and, and by I, I don't mean I'm special. I mean, teachers aren't uh, backed up, you know. Um, for, like I had, I had parents in conferences with me with their lawyer to wow. talk about, oh yeah, to talk about why didn't my kid get drum major? And Ooh. yeah, because there's an audition and there's a process and it's voted on and there's, there's essays running. And I mean, that, but that's, so the, the support from the family can be positive and negative. I mean, it can be, yeah. it can be both, but, um, anyway, at the beginning of every year, I would always have my kids sit down and I, and I always had it very student driven. So I had leaders in my band and then I had drum majors and then I had section leaders and they would sit down in each section and they would have a group discussion about what do we need to do to have a great class this year? And they would come up with things that we needed as expectations and then they bring it forward to the band. I mean, so I, I called it a democratic dictatorship because we would all come up, we would, we, all of them would come up with things that were very similar to what I would have done anyway. And then if one clown wrote something silly, you know, one of the leaders would usually catch it. And if not, I'd catch it before it went in front of everyone. And then we would all agree to this. And I had every single kid in band take home a handbook and have their parents sign it. They signed it. And sometimes that helped. So like when we would get to the lawyer point in a conference or having the administration there, because because these parents, I'm telling you, they will go right to the superintendent. And then the superintendent, instead of saying, talk to the teacher, will just come to you and say, you make this right right now. So just know that about your teachers in education. This is what is happening. And that's in the good situation. That's in the, and there is much worse. And I just know that from my friends who are doing other things and in other places. But um, so I had to get out because I thought to myself, this is not forwarding. I, I can be doing better. I can, I, without this around me, I can do better for people. I can do better for students. I can do, I can, you know, bring, bring the best out of kids by allow, giving them a space where I show them I believe in them through, um, through, through holding high expectations. I mean, for the most part, this is how my lessons run when I'm individual with kids. I say, well, what do you think you should do? And they're like, well, maybe I could use more air. And I'm like, why don't you try that? And then they try and they're like, well, the notes came out. I'm like, yep, that'll be 200 bucks. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, mostly what we do in music and in life is the same, which is we already know what to do and we already know how to advance. And, and I think when, when the education system gets re is ready, when they are ready to really allow people to, you know, self-enfranchise and self-empower, it's going to completely change. I mean, buildings will come down. I mean, like all of it's going to change. I said to Adam, I'm like, you know, we talk about this all the time. I'm like, content is not the issue anymore. We need to relook at everything we're doing in education. And and in this lifetime, I know it, I won't be I won't be around <laughs> for that. Mm -hmm. I maybe you know, well, maybe I will be around for the big shift in education like that. Let's Karen's you're, pointing Karen's her finger pointing, at Yeah, Kate. I'm getting you're a point. The leader. Yes. I'm the leader. I'm gonna make it happen, baby. Well, that's all for today. Thank you for joining Shifting Consciously. It is our hope that this podcast will be a means of strengthening community and supporting one another. Feel free to ask questions, share your troubles, celebrate your victories by going to our website, www.shiftingconsciously.com. Then share our podcast with your friends 
and join us for the next segment where we will continue our discussion of perceptions, how to handle judgments from others, social media's impact, raising kids with expectations and boundaries, and using new assumptions to change. Until then, make it a great day and radiate love.